Well, I'm going to speak to you this afternoon about your television and a wet shirt and three doors and a tree. But first of all, as announced, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 13. So please follow either in your Bible or closely attentively as I read the first nine verses of Luke chapter 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And... If it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. <clears throat> well, let's start with your television. It's the 15th of April, 1989, and Doll and I and two of our lads are living in Switzerland. It's a Saturday. I've spent the morning and most of the afternoon preparing to preach the next day. Then I've been down to the co-op and done some photocopying for the children's sheet to fill in during the morning message. And as I come in the door, my wife immediately says to me, come and look at this. And the news is on. And I think most of you in Liverpool will know what happened on the 15th of April, 1989. And there on Swiss television is Hillsborough. And they're carrying bodies off a football field. And 96 people eventually die because of the crush. What do you think the, the mother of the 14-year-old boy said that evening? Do you think she said hundreds of boys and teenagers went off to that match? But, but why him? 
A little nearer home is the Manchester Arena bombing, 22nd of May, 2017. Ariana Grande concert. We all know what happened there. 23 died. When the little eight-year-old girl doesn't come home. She's gone to hospital, but she's died there. What are the parents thinking? There were hundreds of girls there. Why her? Grenfell Tower. Next month, wasn't it? Two months later. 14th of June, 2017. 72 people died in a fire in the night. And again, it's the same questions. And other questions. Who's to blame? Should anybody answer for this? Who should bear responsibility? Why did it happen? And now we're back in the first century. And there's protest movements in Palestine. Lots of them have started in Galilee in the north. And one group of protesters happens to have come down to Jerusalem to protest against the Roman government and its, and its the governor, Pontius Pilate. And I think perhaps they're asking for a blessing on their protest so they've all gone to the temple and they're sacrificing. And in come the Roman troops from the garrison next door and butcher the protesters whose blood then flows on the ground with the blood of the sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? There have been plenty of protests. But why did this happen? Was it because, as some of you say, says Jesus, oh, these were obviously worse than the others, that's why it happened. No, 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 says Jesus. Whether it's Hillsborough or Manchester Arena or Grenfell Tower or Jerusalem... The biggest question is not the question you're asking. The biggest question is, what is God saying to me, who hasn't died in this event, what is he saying to me? And what he's saying to you, says Jesus, is I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. After all, says Jesus, do you remember that tower in that bit of a run-down district of Jerusalem? There is the Tower of Siloam, where the streets are very narrow. And down it came into that tiny street, 18 people crushed, killed by great stones. Why them? Was it because they were worse than other people? No, says Jesus. No! But unless you repent, you'll perish in just the same way. Every time there's some form of disaster or tragedy, God is speaking. He's reminding you and me of your mortality and mine 
He's reminding you and me that we can be snatched away into eternal punishment at any moment's notice. It's what the Bible calls perishing. And if we haven't repented, that's what, that's what happens to us. It's very somber. When I was at school, the assembly hall was quite small, so those of us who were older years by then, we had to stand at the back. Everybody else had the privilege of sitting down, including the staff. I always stood next to J.E.T. Price. He was a year older than I was, and he always stood on that side of me. Always. I don't know why, but it always worked out that way. Because we could stand pretty much where we wanted. I was in a school where, by the end of year seven, everybody in the school was required to be able to swim two lengths of the local baths. There was not a boy in the school who couldn't swim. The school had a strong reputation in swimming competitions. And the greatest swimmer in the school was J.T. Price. He had the honor of being called captain of swimming. He was outstanding. He perhaps could have gone Olympic. It's morning prayers and he's not there. He's drowned. Swimming. What am I expected to learn from that? Fortunately, by then I was already converted, and I think the whole school knew by then I was a Christian. But what's anybody expected to learn from that? Now it's COVID now, isn't it? And we got so used to these statistics. 500 people a day, 500 a day dying still. Let's take all those deaths and pretend that they all happened in Southport over this last year and a bit. There wouldn't be anybody in Southport. Every building would be empty, every house would be deserted, and that would be true of the surrounding villages as well. It's an enormous amount of people, 120,000 now. Well, let's take all those deaths and say that they all happened in Liverpool. Every, one house and every four would be empty. In your class in school, if you have a class say, of about 28, there would be seven people missing. And God's speaking through all that. And he's saying to men and women and boys and girls, even the most neglectful and bored, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what's the connection with television? Well, the television is quite simple, isn't it? How did I learn about Hillsborough in Switzerland? How did you learn about the Manchester Arena bombing? How did you hear about Grenfell? How do you know about the COVID statistics? God speaks to you through your television or the newspaper or the news that's passed on by word of mouth. Now let's move on. Let's talk about a wet shirt. 
a wet shirt front and back. Because if, if I've got to repent or perish, then I'd better find out what repentance is. In the old days, to become a teacher, all you required was a university degree. Full stop. Period. You didn't need any postgraduate certificate of education. You didn't need any intelligence. You just needed a degree. And you were a teacher if you wanted to be one. That's how I went into teaching. I'd never had an ounce of training. And I arrived at the school and the headmistress said, uh, have you ever taught before? And I said, well, I'm a reg I preach regularly. I taught in Bible class, I've taught in Sunday school, I've taught in children's clubs, and I've been a chaplain on camps. Have you taught in a classroom before? No. Right, well, you better go and see Mr. Byrne. Mr. Byrne was the assistant head, so I'm sent off to Mr. Byrne. Ah, Mr. Olliott, there are three rules for teaching, he said. It's all you need to know. Rule number one, I'm the boss. Rule number two, I'm the boss. Rule number three, well, I don't need to tell you, do I? So that was, that was the teaching training done. So to my first class I arrive, year nine they were. Oh, frankly, they were an ugly, <laughs> ugly group of people. Anyway, that's another story. Well, I'm the boss. So I moved all the people on the back row to the front row, and everybody else moved back one row because I thought if there's any rogues, they're going to be on the back. Well, they're now on the front. And I was right. There was this really cocky lad on the front low, year nine. His name was Lloyd. Can't remember his first name, but Lloyd he was. And after a few minutes, he's, he obviously wanted to try out the new teacher. Why am I telling you all this? Because I want to explain about the shirt. Eventually, he, he went too far. Well, in the words of Pastor Ian, I gave him both barrels. And then I gave him two barrels more. And then I got out the heavy artillery. Then I bombed him. Then I torpedoed him. And then I blew him out of the water. And he wept. And he wept. And he wailed. And he cried. And he shrieked. And he bawled. And his shirt got wetter and wetter and wetter and wetter. And it stuck to his chest and the top of his trousers, the grey became dark as all the tears went down. That's why I've never forgotten his name. I was amazed. Class was amazed. I think he was amazed. He wept. The front of his shirt was soaking. Now then. This boy says to his dad, not Lloyd, this boy. Luke 15. Dad, I don't think I can wait till you're dead. Can I have my half of the goods now, please? And a few days later, he left and put as much distance as he could between dad and home and his life, just like some of you have done with God. He went as far as he could so he didn't have to think about him or have anything to do with him or have anything to do with the people who did have anything to do with him. He went as far as he could and he was rich. And he spent his money and lived it up 
and had plenty of experiences and lots of friends and everything was wonderful. He could eat what he wanted and drink what he wanted and go where he wanted and it was fantastic. And then there was a recession. And he hasn't a friend or a pound in his pocket. And he's sitting, feeding pigs. When I was young, I used to long for someone to read the parable of the prodigal son. Because I just love the old English. I just loved it when the minister or the preacher said he would fain have filled his belly with the husks which the swine did eat. I, I thought that was magnificent. It felt like music. I, I wanted to put it to music. But that's not the way the man, young man felt, was it? He's feeding pigs. What a fool I've become. How stupid. I've known Dad was so good to me for so many years. And I've wronged him. And I've hurt him. I've broken his heart. And look at the mess I'm in. I've got nothing, no hope. No friends, no peace, nothing. He wept. I could just see the prodigal with his shirt or whatever he wore. It soaked and sticking to his chest. And he's wailing and crying. I've been such a fool. And then... It's my, the servants of my dad. They've got plenty to eat. They've got clothes to wear. They've got somewhere to live. And they've got something left over. And I'm feeding pigs. I've got to the point where I would like to eat what they've got. I'll get up and I'll go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've really let you down. I've hurt you badly. I've been a total fool. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But maybe you would consider taking me on as one of your servants and I'll do anything you say. And then there's that great verse in the Bible. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion and ran, fell on his neck, kissed him. And the shirt which is wet on the front is now wet on the back as the welcoming father weeps his son into forgiveness and acceptance and the best robe and the ring on his finger and the shoes on his feet and the feast. And that's what repentance is. I've been such a fool. I've broken his heart. I'm coming back. And you're not just sorry for your sins. 
but you're looking away to the one you've wronged and you get close to him but he's running faster towards you than you're walking towards him and his tears wet the back of your shirt and two things have gone on you're breaking his heart you're breaking your own heart but he's welcoming you home and he but somebody's saying I, I couldn't go back to the Lord I've been an unbeliever for far too long but when Jesus died on the cross he died for unbelievers and I've sworn and had impure thoughts and impure actions but when Jesus died on the cross he died for people who swear and have impure thoughts and impure actions and I've lied and cheated and show no interest in the things of God but when Jesus died on the cross it was precisely for people who've lied and cheated and have had no time or patience with the things of God my Bible and yours says the same thing Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and the punishment that came on Christ was the punishment which should have come on thieves and liars and adulterers and impure people cheats dishonest folk or folk who are just bored with the things of God the punishment came on him so the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all repentance is me breaking my heart and coming back to God and finding that he welcomes me <laughs> because this living saviour who God sent into the world died for people just like me on the cross so I've talked to you about your television and the wet shirt now let's talk about three doors because if God speaks to you through the news about repentance and if that's what repentance is perhaps we better be reminded why we must repent and when verse 3 I tell you no but unless you repent you will all likewise perish now this is Dovecot Evangelical Church kindly loaned to us today and here we are all together in this room and all of us came through the same door but in more normal times we would all have come through the front door a bit like we come into the world so let's pretend this room is human life and here we are all alive at the same time but we all came through the same door you can look everybody in the eyes in the room this afternoon and every one of them was born of a woman. Every one of you has a mother. We all came in that way. 
Now, somebody's got, I know some smart Alex is going to say to me, but there's two doors after that. Yes, well, okay, well, that's where some of you are boys and some of you are girls, if you really want to be fussy. And, and some of you are men and some of you are women, and here we are all alive at the same time. But we all came in the same door. That's the door. I've gone to talk to you about three doors. Now, let's pretend that here in front of this microphone is a curtain. You come in the front door and you're at the back. And slowly but surely and certainly you move forward towards the curtain. Some people are moving forward at a greater speed than others. J.E.T. Price took 17 years to come from the door to the curtain. Some people take weeks. There's a lady in France, a retired nun. She came through the door 116 years ago. But she hasn't got to the curtain yet. But she will. Captain Tom. A hundred years from the door to the curtain. It'll be curtains for you sometime. And me. And then you pass through the curtain. But there's two doors. Go through that door. And you're all out in the sunshine. That's not correct, actually. Go through that door, and you're out in the light, where there's no sun, but there is sunshine. There's no sin, or curse, or disease, or tears, or death. And the Lamb, that's the code name for Jesus who died on the cross, is the light. There's no sunset, no dawn. It's everlasting. Jesus calls it eternal life. Go through that door. And it's what the scriptures call outer darkness. And somebody's saying, I'm not scared of the dark because I know the dawn's coming. Just call through the door. What time is it there? Midnight. How many hours to the dawn? Never. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It won't be that bad, surely. I mean, there are plenty of unbelievers who are just very nice people. It's true, you know. 
But that's because they were made in the image of God. But there's nothing of God in hell. The image of God is stripped from that nice old lady you know. The image of God is stripped from that young man who's really so pleasant and polite. It's all hate and murder and spite and sin. It's devilish. It's demonic. And it's forever. Paul writing to the Thessalonians says, they will never have even a taste of the eternal glory. We come in the door, we go through the curtain, and from that side of the curtain, you can't see infallibly which door someone's gone through. But they've gone through one. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I've talked to you about your television and a wet shirt to explain what repentance is and three doors to explain why you must repent and, and when. Now we'll finish with a tree in God's garden. This is verses six to nine. But I remember when I was seven years old, we moved into, we were a military family. We we're always moving, 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 moving. But I remember we moved into a house where there was a garden which had a cherry tree. Why would someone have a cherry tree in their garden? Why would someone plant a cherry tree in their garden? The answer is obvious, isn't it? They wanted cherries. Well, they were no longer there, and we, we, we benefited from the cherries. Very nice, too, until you eat too many of them. But what happens if he'd put the cherry tree in, and he'd come back a year later, because it usually takes a year or two for a tree to, to produce fruit, and there was no fruit? What would he have done? Well, he decided, that was a waste of time. Why did, why did I go to the garden center and buy that? I'll pull it up and get rid of it. In Jesus' parable, it wasn't a cherry tree, it was a fig tree planted in a vineyard which a man owned. And he came to get some figs. But there weren't any. But it's been there three years. Not a fig. Using up the ground, pull the thing up. No, says the man who's the tenant of the vineyard, just, I'll put, I'll put some manure on it, I'll fertilize it, I'll dig around and make the ground a bit soft and just wait another year. But if there's no fruit, then okay, you can cut it down. Jesus is teaching us what, not only that God is looking for something, but he won't wait forever. Jesus had been talking about repentance. It's perfectly plain there what God is looking for. He's looking for repentance. 
And if he doesn't find it, then as we've seen, the person must perish. But how do you know whether you've truly repented? How do you know it just hasn't been tears? Because I was reading recently of a minister who had recently retired and he had worked out that in his lifetime he had visited several thousand people who were dying. But of the people who were dying, 2,000 of these dying people actually hadn't died. They had recovered and gone on to live many more years. So he'd visited in his ministry at least 2,000 people who were dying but had recovered. Nearly all these 2,000, during the time that they were dying, had come to repent. But when they recovered, all of them, except two, turned their back on the Christian faith. So they thought they were repenting, people thought they were repenting, but they were doing nothing of the sort. So what does true repentance look like? Well, it's... It's the shirt never drying out. In true repentance, I'm sorry for my sins and I, I must, I must get back to the Lord. The next day, I'm sorry for my sins and I must get back to the Lord. The third day, I'm sorry for my sins and I must get back to the Lord. A year later, Ten years later, I'm sorry for my sins and I must get back to the Lord. I can't keep away from him. I don't like this sin. It makes me tired. It makes me weary. It makes me afraid. I'm, I've, I can't, can't go on without the saviour of the world. Too much preaching has been misleading. In the old days, people used to mark in red a special day on the calendar, as I've often said. Conversion isn't a red, red letter day. It's the first red letter day of all the other red letter days which follow it. It's the day where everything changes. You've lived without the Lord, and now you can't live without him. You haven't cared about sin, and now you care about it more. And it never leaves you. And if we were to properly translate verse 3, we would say, I tell you no, but unless you are repenting, you will all likewise perish. People say to me, you've retired now, is there anything you would have done differently if you had your time over again? The answer is obviously going to be yes, isn't it? One thing I would have done differently is the questions I ask people when they're baptized. Some of you are baptized. I used to say, 
The first, I just asked two questions, but here's the first one. Have you repented of your sins? And do you have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? That's a good question, but I don't think it's the best question. I think the best question is this. Are you repenting of your sins? And are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Are you repenting? Are you believing? Repentance isn't a once-for-all thing. It was realizing that that woke up Martin Luther. And there in 1517, on that 31st day of October, when he nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church there. Number one, when Jesus says, repent, he does not mean just do it once, but you must do it every day. That's his first thesis. And the whole Reformation sprang into life. And after the darkness, Europe was once more flooded with light. As thousands and thousands came to repent, 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 and repent, and repent, and were still repenting when they went through the curtain. You can't live a day without feeling sorry for your sin. And you can't live a day without coming to God through Christ. You can't go a day without saying, oh, I'm a wretched person. And you can't go with a day without saying, to me who believes, he is precious. Unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Well, says somebody, I'd like to come back to the Lord, but I don't know what to say. You don't need to say anything, actually. He reads hearts, you know. But you can't go on as you are. You've got to come back to him. But if you want something to say, well, say what's on your heart. He's not too interested in the words. The dying thief said, Lord, remember me. Not was enough. The beggar by the wayside said, Son of David, Son of David. That was enough. The leper said, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. That was enough. Years ago, someone didn't know what to say. So they said this, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in, today, come in, to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, it was enough. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 